Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In this taut psychological thriller, Ravage, Harper, a young nature photographer on assignment in the woods of Wachatumi Valley captures a disturbing event of a man brutally whipped and beaten in the woods. After reporting the incident to the local sheriffs, she is quickly captured by the culprits and taken to an abandoned farm in the woods to be tortured. That is the backstory behind this uh, new narrative film from uh, Brainstorm Media. The film is called Ravage, and we're joined today by the writer and the director, and that would be Terry Grennan. Terry, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you for having me. It's great to thank be you. on your show. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Just as I described it, it's a very intense film. Uh, a lot of elements cinematically that go into why I f- why it is that way, and we'll get to that later. But uh, what's the sort of the, the story? Where, where the story? What inspired the story, and what inspired you to do the film? Um, when we sent the script from uh, about three years ago. I, some of my friends had read it. I actually sent, I sent it around with a pen name on it because of the ending. I didn't, which we actually changed. She wasn't supposed to, anyway, we changed yeah. it. So, yeah, don't, so, no spoilers yeah. here, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, I listened to this radio show um, and it was about this kid who's kind of playing a game of gotcha with these farmers in central Virginia uh, about their livestock eating GMOs. And this young cub reporter from NPR said, well, you know, aren't you concerned about the well-being of your cattle eating these kind of hybrid GMO feed? And the, the farmer said, there's no need to worry about a cow and a cow's stomach. It's the most toxic environment in the world. So it just kind of gave a thought on it. That's kind of an interesting setup. So where we are here in Charlottesville, um, you know, this genre that we wanted to have some fun in and did, um, I always think like, and again, you weren't trying to get too mad science on this thing, but having, you know, the bad guys can be pretty typical and we set these guys up as pretty typical, but the one little piece that we wanted to make it a little bit about was like this Wachitumi Valley that you just said correctly, is this fictional place that they preserve, like preservation is a way of life for these guys. And we wanted to take kind of this, and again, I'm, this is just, you know, tongue in cheek, if you will. Right. But, um, you know, they were, they were kind of stewards of this Valley and they wanted to keep it at all costs the way it was. And the line, if you remember, is like, have you seen what they've done to their mountains in West Virginia? So, um, you know, so we just kind of kept it like that. These guys are like eco-terrorists, obviously on other people they've taken it to an extreme. Um, but there is a lot of that here where we are. There's a lot of people who feel that, um, it's going to take extremes here on the Atlantic seaboard to preserve a lot of what has not been ruined, you know, by these giant pipelines that are coming through here and et cetera. So it was kind of a fun swing at that. Yeah. Well, and in a film like this really depends on um, the characters, the actors, how, how well you're able to kind of set up the dynamic, right? We've got Harper who is, who is this, She's just there. I, I mean, from what I saw in the film, she's just taking pictures and she's uh, not sure if she's familiar with the area. It doesn't sound like she was. It just she sort of dropped in to do this assignment. 
and that's when things kind of unfold. Is is that a correct assessment of her? Yeah, it, it, there's a lot that um, we try to set up with the when when the um, the sheriff or the the state trooper is investigating her in the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, and she she says in the he goes, oh, I guess you're pretty good at your job. You know, what were you doing in the Watch Toomey Valley? She goes, I was looking for a red stag. He's like, what's so special about a red stag? And she goes, they're not supposed to be there. And the red stag was actually an indigenous uh, animal here in 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 on the Atlantic seaboard that is no large, it's extinct. Um, and, and in that setup, he tells me, hey, you're pretty good at your job. You've actually shot pictures of animals that were thought to be extinct. And if you Google it, there actually are some nature photographers, like they have found animals that were thought to be extinct and they're not, you know, which I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> to find, right. wow, you'll see, we didn't kill them all. We can keep, <laughs> we can keep going this way. But I thought that was kind of a fun premise to set it up. Like this woman has a special, um, she's a hunter. You know, she's a hunter in her own way with her cannon and goes out there and stalks these things until she finds them. Right. And I think as, as the film progresses, we, we find out that Harper is a, a bit of a survivalist, or at least she's pretty well skilled in, in being in the woods since this is part of her job is to be in uh, unfamiliar territory. And she's, she's pretty adept at, at that as well. As yeah. Well. Yeah, I mean, she's, you know, she can spend, the night, and I, you know, like I, I just said this before, but, you know, she's not G.I. Jane, but, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world to, you know, tie a rope around a tree and, you know, you can fight back. You don't have to, and, you know, one of the jokes we wanted to do with this thing, it's not a joke, but like, I, you know, most of these, or a lot, I guess, a lot of these films, especially in the older days, were always like women screaming and, you know, the gun's right there. They could grab it. Right. They just run away. And right. then the boogeyman's around the next corner and they ice her or whatever. It's like, that is, it's kind of ridiculous, right? I mean, right. I know it was part of the fun and the stuff. And I get that. But I just feel like, why not ground this in a reality that actually, like, right. she's capable. She's not G.I. but, like, you know, she's picking up some of the tools that are being laid down and working with them. Right, right. Well, and the and again, and then as I said, sort of the 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 success of a film like Ravage depends on the heroine in this case, but also the bad guys. And the bad guy's pretty good. The bad guy Robert Longstreet, um, his character Ravener yeah. is really, yeah, he's he's everything and more in terms of what you would want in a guy, not only his character but also in his ability to kind of play it out. He. He's he's close to being over the top, but it, it really isn't. It's a really kind of for what you're doing with the film. I really like that dynamic between uh, for him as the the bad guy in this film. So thank you. We were really lucky to get Robert, and he he did. He did a really good balancing act. You know, I'd I'd have him turn it up. I'd have him turn it down. Yeah. Um, we had a lot of fun kind of working with that together, and and then he and Annabelle had this one. I mean, it was. It was got a little weird, you know, like when she's on that post and they're talking like they were they were like throwing those lines at each other. It was interesting. It was it was great. I mean, they were into it. It was great. Yeah, I, I, you know, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. No, that 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 part of it, the film, again, it, you know, it works really well. And it's a film that's difficult to talk about in some ways because there's I feel like I'm going to give more away than I want to in terms of our conversation. And again, those elements that you mentioned earlier about sort of the, uh, the the environment, you know, that idea of being stewards, but in a kind of a pretty over-the-top crazy way, uh, this is theirs. And also, congratulations on bringing uh, Bruce Stern into the project. And he, he, he doesn't have a huge role, but he has a significant role. And I thought he really brought it as well. I thought his 
time on screen was well served for the film. Talk, talk about that and having Bruce Stern on set with you. I work for a film festival, the Sun Valley Film Festival. And Bruce came up years ago uh, as a guest and we stayed in touch. He's very, very funny. And he's got incredible story. Anyway, we stayed in touch. He asked, and we came up again. Uh, he had such a good time. And he came up as my guest and he said, are you, what are you doing? I was like, actually, I'm making this thriller. There's this totally banged up dude in that um, I'd love for you to play. You know, it's a really limited budget. He's like, I mean, let me take a look at it. And he called me up. He's like, man, you're pretty effed up, aren't you? And I was like, well, we, want, we want to have some fun. So he was very, very generous with his time um, and came in. And then, of course, you know, I needed him for an extra day of ADR back in L.A. And he showed up early and he left late. I mean, he was just great. Never mind who he is, like, in the world of cinema. He's just a really fascinating man. He's a wealth of knowledge. And he's Robert Longstreet's hero. You know, he, it's who Robert grew up with and loved him. Annabelle has always revered him. So for me, I didn't realize it at the time. I mean, as a producer, I, I get it. Dern attached to the project with a dollar to make it. And they're like, okay. Even with the first time director, they're like, okay. Yeah. So um, it, there was that. There was definitely that cachet or having him attached. Um, but that was nothing compared to what he brought to the picture in regards to having him on set. And the kids loved him. A lot of the guys and women on the set are half my age. You know, so they weren't terribly familiar with Bruce. They'd seen Hateful Eight, um, and they knew, but like, they hadn't seen Coming Home. They hadn't seen any of the John Wayne films. That, you know, they hadn't seen that. They didn't know who it was. So they started Googling him. It, was, it, it wasn't embarrassing for me, but it was more like, and then, and then I think about it, like when I was growing up, like, you don't know who, you know, but I, I you know, but, and then they're like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. And like, yeah, he's well, I mean, the stuff he did with, you know, Bob Ravelson, with Nick yeah. Nicholson. Yes. I mean, there, there's th it. things that just, you know, Bruce Dern, again, he's been around a little while now, but, um, and he has, it's one of those actors that you see him and the familiarity can sometimes for some actors be an impediment in that sense that they have to sort of fight against type. But with Bruce yeah. Dern, he's been able to do something with his career, I feel, like, you see him, but he doesn't bring that kind of baggage. He, you, you yeah. feel like you're going to see something different. No, he, even though you don't, right? Go ahead. Exactly. And he works on that. He calls it a Dernsey. He tries to bring something new that you didn't write, that you weren't talking about. And he throws it at you. And if you like it and you keep it, great. Uh -huh. We did. I kept a couple of his Dernseys. But you're, you're absolutely spot on. That's exactly what he does. And, um, and that's also kept him interested in projects you know so so yeah you're right that's good for you well done and, and nebraska is a great film he was terrific oh in my god he was amazing in we're talking about ravage yeah. and we're talking with the writer and director and that would be teddy grennan and you you had mentioned uh kind of on set stuff you came to this film as a with a background in producing you've done that in the past what what made you want to do the the jump into uh being the guy that yells action and cut what what what's forced for? into it <laughs> we had, we had, um, it's funny. I mean it like for real, we had, um, Gersh was fabulous enough to set the film up, um, with a, with a really respectable budget, small, but you know, no, no problem. You know, everyone's getting fed, paid properly, a big deal. I w was producing it. I, you know, I've, I've always wanted to direct. I just wasn't ready. I wanted one more kind of in the passenger seat and, but 
our directors kept falling out. We had two directors and they both fell out. And my manager, Susan Solomon was like, you direct it, you wrote it, you know the story better than anybody once she's directed. And then I, I did. I mean, and the film business money dies on the vine really quickly. You know, it's just like, it's there and then it's gone. And we had this window to shoot it. They proposed it to the investors that I directed. And they're like, all right, he wrote it. Maybe he can direct it. So, and then we had some in-principle photography. We were already a couple of days in. The principal financier fell out. So we were left with a limited budget that my producers, Marsha Oglesby, Heath Franklin, and Bennett Krishak were able to pull it together. It was, we were very lucky. Well, and, and there's another element to this. And I, in, in my conversations with filmmakers, this is almost always the case. And that is, you have to have a cinematographer that you trust. I'm not a director. Uh, I aspire to be. But uh, nonetheless, if you don't have a relationship with your cinematographer, you don't trust what he's doing, I can't imagine it going well. Is that fair? This picture would not have happened if I didn't have Chris Walters, our, our DP, um, who is wildly talented. It's good um, stuff. It's just good stuff in here. I borrowed a lot with the cameras from the Pate brothers um, with what they did with Friday Night Lights. We had three cameras mo- operating most of the time. Um, I wanted that continuity to be able to cut between the action. I was concerned about it. But Chris, he's got that different gear. He's got that extra gear where he's just getting going when I'm uh, tapped out. I give him the shot list. If I'm lucky, I'll have a storyboard. Or if he's lucky, I'll, he'll have a storyboard for me. And then he like, okay, got it. It's done can we try this? And they want to do it. Like, like Annabelle, and they, they almost every single time they wanted to do another shot for me. He's one of those guys who's, he's, he could never do anything else because he's so qualified and endearing. but his enthusiasm almost outmatches his God given capabilities. He's got a great eye. I'm actually doing another project with him next month. So it's great stuff. He, I really liked what you did with, because these films, you're right. They don't have a lot of budget. There's, you, can, you know, but you made a lot of it. You, you didn't have a whole lot of sh- uh, locations. You, once you're in the woods and then once you're out, there's just a couple of places that you, you used. And it, it's all about making it look like a million bucks. And I, I think yeah. you did a really good job of, of, of getting a look and you got a, a pace. That's the other thing. And the, going back to what we talked about at the very beginning of our interview, I think it's really important to point out in films like this, especially psychological thrillers, horror films, however you, however you genre you want to categorize it. Sound is such an amazing part of it. And you use that really effectively right away. We're introduced in the film with a, with a big sound. And you, and you carry that through the film. And I, I, I think that that's another element that if you don't know what you're doing, you can really screw it up with a bad sound design. So Jacques Brapard, who composed, the, he did all the music for us. Um, it, unbelievably talented. He's actually a musician in his own right. And we did this piece, my editor, Bennett Krishak, put this, the opening where she's walking in from the sun. It's like, you know, it's like a spaghetti Western. Right. And a lot of the kids on the film called this a Western. You know, it's like, a, you know, it's kind of a, yeah. some elements to a Western. Yeah, yeah definitely. But Bennett Krishak, our editor, and one of the producers on the project, is like, just, just, just try this. All right, just try. You have this shot. Let me match this up with Shock's thing. And I was like, that's not our movie. That is so dumb. This is, and literally as I'm saying it, I'm like, this is just totally different. Like, I think the greatest relationships are with people who just hire the right people to do the job. I was really blessed to have Marsha Oglesby as our producer, our DP, Jacques, our editors. Uh, I was very lucky. 
And, and to that end, to what you're talking about, you know, you're paying these people a fair amount of money. And why wouldn't you want them to be part of the, the mix in terms of, uh, of making a film? And it sounds like that's another element of being a great director, I think, really is trusting the people around you. And that's what it's a great like. business person. I think being a really good business person is you hire the right people to do the job and get out of the way. Let them do it. I've been taught. I've had good teachers like do the job. And if you're not doing it right, I'm going to fire you or I'm going to tell you once how to do it better. No, that's terrific. Well, the film, again, is called Ravage. And we've been talking with the director, Teddy Grennan, and it is coming out on uh, in video on demand this Friday, uh, August 21st. You can buy it or rent it. It is a release through Brainstorm Media is your release yeah. platform. It, yeah, we've been really lucky with them. They've actually been great. They're very clever. Talk about hiring the right people. That's great. Well, it's the first thing you see when you when you go to Brainstorm Media this week. So they're 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 it's up there and they're promoting it, obviously doing a, a job on that. It, it's won some awards. You won a best feature at the New York City Horror Film Festival in 2019. The website, I'm just gonna send them to Brain. Uh, brainmedia.com for uh, information about the film. Is that is that a good place to go? Sounds great. All right, great. Again, thank you so much, Teddy Grennan, the, the director and writer of the film Ravage, out this Friday, August 21st. Thank you so much for being here. It was my pleasure. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.